It's time once again for another episode of All That's Jazz, the podcast that explores everything in the world of jazz. And here now is your host, Alan Scott. Hello and welcome to another episode of All That's Jazz. You know, in our podcast categories, uh, we have a listing called Rising Stars. And one of our discoveries is Noah Levy, an Israeli-born vocalist now residing in San Francisco. She recently released a musical celebration of Cole Porter in You, Me, and Cole, which is actually a bass voice duo album with Japanese-born Shimpei Ogawa. That gentleman now resides in New York City, but the two coasts came together to establish and present to the world You, Me, and Cole. I get no kick from champagne Mere alcohol just doesn't thrill me at all So tell me why should it be true That I get a kick out of you I get the kick from cocaine But I'm sure that if I took even one sniff It would bore me terrifically too Yet I get a kick out Noah, thanks for joining us here today on All That's Jazz. Thank you so much for having me, Ellen. It's an absolute pleasure. Let's talk a little bit about yourself. In looking through some of your biographical information, uh, you're listed as a uh, jazz rock vocalist originally from Israel. How would you categorize yourself? Is that a, a fair description? It's a fair description. I think uh, since I moved to the U.S., I've been certainly more of a jazz singer than a rock singer. Um, but rock is a very important element in my past and influence. And I think it shows up a lot in my jazz singing. You were born in Israel. How long uh, were you there before you moved to uh, the U.S.? I moved to the U.S. Uh, about five years ago. So I spent most of my life in, in Israel. I did uh, live for a time in London, U.K., so sort of Israel, London, Israel, San Francisco. I guess I'm still fairly new to the United States. What is it about your background or your life that uh, became the inspiration for you to get into jazz music? I think when I was 12, we have a ceremony in Jewish tradition called the Bar or Bat Mitzvah, and uh, it's sort of a coming-of-age ceremony. I used the money to uh, get myself a stereo, uh, back in the time still CDs, and I think one of my first CDs that I ever bought was Ella and Louie. And I think that was the big kind of revelation, introduction to the world of jazz. Uh, next up was Sarah Vaughan with Clifford Brown. It was my, the first solo I ever learned before I even knew I was learning a solo. It was all just singing along, not really knowing what I'm doing. And so I think it's always been Part of I, I've been really attracted to to the genre, to the style. Then I started listening more, listening more to instrumentalists. But um, career-wise, life kind of sort of drifted more to the rock 
profession or the rock, the jazz, the rock singing. And uh, when I moved to the U.S., I thought it was the best time to go back to my passion and love for jazz. And that was sort of what inspired, I guess, the current shift in my um, artistic life. Well, as yeah. a child, did you start out playing an instrument and then move to vocals, or was it the other way around? Definitely always vocals, vocals first. I, I, I love, I've always loved to be on stage. My grandparents found me in a concert when I was three, dancing with <laughs> with a singer. They were pretty scared when they couldn't find me, and then all of a sudden they look up and there I was jamming along. So I think it was the passion for performance and connection. And I've always sang along with tapes and sort of that wasn't the first click that I had and felt that this was a calling. And then I started kind of venturing more to playing instruments. I started a little bit with the guitar and then much later with piano, which is sort of my main instruments to accompany myself these days. So is there any truth to the rumor that uh, your father gave you a tape of Queen's Greatest Hits and that just really launched you into your singing voice? Yes, definitely not a rumor. It's, it's, a, it's the truth. Yes, I think listening to Freddie Mercury has a huge impact on, on my singing and on what I like in music up till this day. I don't know if um, the fact that my, my dad, my parents were divorced and my dad lived overseas at the time and there was something about connecting with him that also made it that much more meaningful. But yeah, it was, it was love at first here. I guess, when, mm -hmm. when I heard that, that cassette. <laughs> so through the years of your childhood, you must have formulated some incredible uh, talents because uh, you actually performed uh, with Israel's National Chamber Orchestra? Yes, I've had a, the opportunity to play with them in a number of different production. I worked as a freelance vocalist, and as such, I collaborated with, with different artists and different uh, productions. And so collaborating with them was one of the highlights, definitely, of, of my career. As few things that are as exciting as leading an orchestra. It's really a phenomenal experience. It's my understanding that being from Israel, those citizens of Israel uh, at a certain point in their life need to perform a mandatory military service. But that also led to other experiences for you within the context of uh, performance and music. Yes, very, very true. Um, mandatory uh, military service for all citizens of Israel. Um, it's uh, two years for women and three years for men. Uh, so when I was 17 and I got my, uh, my drafting orders, there's um, an effort by the army to try and match people, people's uh, army profession with their skills or desires. I expressed interest in in auditioning for what they what they call um, the army bands. It's a pretty strong tradition in Israel. The army bands used to play a very important role in the culture and in the in the music back in the. 50s and 60s, they were the pop stars of, of, of the time in, in Israel, just like, I guess, Marlene Dietrich and, I guess, Andrew's sisters used to represent that, that era. So 
I, I um, auditioned and I was lucky enough to, to be accepted and I was drafted to the Navy Ensemble. As part of that, our job is to tour around Israel and uh, perform in bases for, for the soldiers and to also take part in uh, all sorts of um, ceremonies. And we also got to travel overseas and represent the Navy, the Israeli Navy, Actually, here in the U.S., you know, singing songs that are part of the Israeli canon today. Yeah, it was a it was a fantastic, unique experience. Kind of a weird combination of of <laughs> of being in the army while doing something so um, extravagant. So, when you were touring with them and you came to the U.S., is that what whet the appetite for you to maybe uh, set up shop and reside here in this country? Excellent question. Maybe, you never know. The the mind works in mysterious ways. Certainly at the time, I was actually more uh, set on on the UK. I think Freddie Mercury had to do something, something to do with that. Uh, I was already planning to move there, which is what I did directly after the army. But yeah, maybe there were some seeds being sown uh, in that tour. In fact, what led my path here was meeting a man <laughs> on the beach in Tel Aviv. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's great. He, yeah. Well, he was American, he an American from oh. San Francisco. And <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> and, yeah. When you came to this country, how did you get connected with the California Jazz Conservatory? When I moved, I, I just went online and did a lot of research to try and find... Um, ways to kind of break into the to the scene which is not hard um but i was happy to find out that there is quite the lively scene here in san francisco in the bay area of of jazz musicians and who are a lot of them are very nice and welcoming my first venture was actually this pretty incredible opportunity that they have here an organization called living jazz which is a fantastic organization that does a lot of good in spreading the word of jazz in the community here, a lot of good education efforts. And they also organize a what's called a jazz camp. Um, they have one for kids and they have one for adults where you go for a week, hang out in the woods in La Honda and play jazz. They have classes, all sorts of workshops, and it's a truly magical experience especially for me, I, I've never been to any camp like that. I think it's a, it's a very American concept. I met so many people. It was right when I moved, so I met both friends and colleagues in that one week of, of jazz celebration. And one thing led to another. I found out through there, a lot of the teachers come to that camp from the, jazz, uh, the California Jazz Conservatory. And, and so I found out about that institution. And next semester, I applied to take classes in the in the conservatory. And this is where you then met Shimpei. Yes. Yeah, we, quite a funny story. We sort of both were in the same year. I sort of skipped a semester and we both met in the second semester. And uh, so we had a lot of the same classes. I was sitting behind him in, I think, theory class. He was much better than I was. And so I would always ask him all the questions, and, <laughs> and I think that's how we kind of became friendly. And then for another 
class where we had an assignment to everybody, instrumentalists and vocalists alike. In, in what's unique in the school is that vocalists uh, are not separate from instrument instrumentalists. They take all the same classes together. And so we were, there was an assignment to present Sophisticated Lady by Duke Ellington. And you could choose whatever you wanted to do with the song. So I asked Shinpei to do it with me as a bass and voice duo for that class. And it was really right very early on. And we both felt like, wow, there's there's chemistry here. It was it was pretty uh, obvious to the, everybody who listened and also and mostly to us. And and yeah, so that was the start of, of our friendships, friendship and collaboration. Well, you know, it's a great collaboration because uh, there are not a lot of uh, recordings that feature a vocalist and a bassist. And mm -hmm. the two of you do it excellently. And Thank it, it's, it, but I, I get the sense uh, in looking at your history that this is not the first time you, you worked in a duo element because your first uh, jazz EP, you have three different duo formatted tracks or, or uh, singles uh, within the context of that uh, EP, and one being drums, uh, the other a synthesizer, and then vibraphone. So is that a format you're comfortable or you truly enjoy and will keep working um, at? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think majority of my professional life, I actually worked with bands and I was very much a band person and large, large productions. You know, we, we talked about orchestras and big stages. I think when I moved here, there was both necessity and interest the necessity was I didn't know as many people. I hadn't formed my my bands, you know, that, that had worked together for a while. There was something a little bit more approachable and accessible in working with just one person and developing and cultivating that relationship. Things take time, in, in my opinion, to really sing well with, with another musician. There needs to be sort of this like-mindedness and the feeling of, I know where he's going to go, I can feel it. And there was something about limiting to only one person at a time that made it uh, easier and also more interesting because it was new for me coming from the, the big world of rock and I kind of toning it down and really doing something more bare naked was um, also artistically interesting. So there was both the need and the curiosity that led to kind of sticking to this format especially working with a drummer in the first EP was very unusual. I mean, that, that was um, just trying to work things out together in this very unusual combination of instruments, forced or even or, or much cultivated a much stronger connection because of that bare naked format, where sometimes the drummer just kind of blends, you know, the harmonic instruments take more prominence. And so for me to really pay attention to what is the drummer doing and how is he speaking in his with his instrument was great for me. I'm glad you use that terminology of bare naked because when you're working as a duo, there's got to be a lot of pressure on you to deliver. Uh, there's no room for a uh, mistake uh, because you can't get lost in the ensemble somewhere up in the back. When it's just the two of you, whether it's a drum and vocals, or if it's a bass and vocals, both of you need to be spot on. Uh, would that be fair assessment? 
Yeah, absolutely. There, it's somewhat more nerve-wracking when it, you know there's just the two of us. So I think it stretches both sides to like the most of their abilities. And maybe there was something about coming from a you know conservatory or student attitude where you know you kind of really want to go with as far as you can. So there was something about that energy of really exploring what can we do that I, I think made it appealing to both sides and and yeah i mean it, the you work in with ensembles for the majority of the time so doing something that's a little bit different there's always an allure to that absolutely so what made it click between you and Shimpei when you decided to come together and record a, a release like this we started gigging around town together uh, not necessarily just as a duo as part of my trio and I would always make a point of having at least one duo with him in the gig and those would always just really be so fun and there was something about it that would catch the attention of the audience as well and um, more and more we decided we really should do something as you said with this we had um, another idea. Shimpe went to Argentina and to study tango. And we decided, why don't we try to do an arrangement using the tango technique, bass and voice format. And that led to My Heart Belongs to Daddy, which is the second track on the album. While tearing off a game of golf I may make a play for the caddy But when I do, I don't follow through Cause my heart belongs to daddy If I invite the boy some night To dine on my fine fin and hattie I just adore his asking for more But my heart belongs to daddy Yes, my heart belongs to daddy. I had a big concert uh, about two years ago in Berkeley, and that was one of the numbers, and it was a crowd favorite. <laughs> and, and so that was, I guess, the moment where we said, okay, we really should develop this into a full concept of, of an album. Well, it obviously worked uh, and worked very well. Uh, but then on top of that, I, I guess uh, neither one of you is afraid to take on a challenge. You took on the challenge of uh, the sacred music of Cole Porter, who is beloved uh, for decades and decades and ha has such a, a volume of tunes and songs to his credit. How did you choose doing a tribute to Cole Porter? Well, I've, I've always been a fan of, of Cole Porter. Um, genius, genius songwriter. I mean, um, I call it the, the trifecta. So there's Berlin, Gershwin, and Porter. I think specifically for me, what's so cool about Porter is the fact that he wrote both the music and the lyrics. And therefore, there is something about his songs where they fit very well together. As a singer, lyrics, I mean, I love a good lyric. It's, it's something I can't ignore. I, I, I would never choose a, a lyric that I don't identify with or I don't feel like I can uh, present a story with. And so that was 
for me, the great allure, and then for Shimpe, the harmonic skills of Cole Porter and the, and the unusual choices that he made, especially at the time, using a lot of minor uh, harmony and very sometimes unusual forms. So that was what made it interesting for him. How can he portray that only using a, a bass, not, not being able to play chords? So we both had something very kind of interesting in the work of Porter specifically that made it a good canvas for us to choose from. We also thought it would be interesting to sp focus on one composer, sort of narrowing down the scope sometimes helped to really zone in and, and zoom and choose the best options. Even within such a one such a narrow quote idea of one composer with Cole Porter, there's such a huge variety of songs. So we still had a lot of work to do and try and pick out our what we thought we could work with. Well, you're right because there there is that uh, key word of, of variety within his music, and uh, it takes on different forms and pictures and emotions, uh, and it's quite great. Uh, like for yourself as a as a vocalist, to choose his music because of the lyrics. Uh, they're very storytelling, and that's the premise of what a good vocalist should be all about, is be a storyteller. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, preparing or working on this album, I, I read uh, two biographies of, of Cole Porter and learning a lot, I think, on top of um, being extremely skilled with words, he also had a quite a unique life situation with sexuality, and um, dealing with having a major accident in his life. And so specifically his circumstances brought a lot. And the fact that he would write his own lyrics, he would bring a lot of that, of the emotions and experience that he lived through into his songs and made them all the more appealing for me to really try and like bring out what I thought the emotions were in the lyrics. So how long did it take you to formulate this recording? I think, I think we probably worked on it for about a year, meeting a, a little bit more sporadically early on than then as we got closer to, to the recording date, uh, meeting more intensely, making sure everything is nice and tight. But developing the arrangements took, took some time. One of the things that was consistently coming up with each time I would share this album with people, the, the first thing that everybody said, and including myself, was wow, those are great arrangements, or I wonder who arranged this, or was it uh, her or him, or it, these arrangements are wonderful. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Thank you. That's great. That's the best compliment I could, I could hope for. I, I think who arranged this is, um, there are 10 tracks on the album, and I think eight of them are, are brainchilds. I mean, there's some of some of me, some of his in the arrangement. It's really something that came out while working together and hashing and spitballing ideas and going back and forth. And then there are two that are more. That was my my idea, and we worked it out. And one was that was his idea, which we worked out. So um, generally, I would say the arrangements are are a true collaboration. Both bringing our we have definitely definitely different sensibilities. The Japanese culture and the Israeli culture couldn't be more different. And so I think that brings a lot of interesting flair to the arrangements. But on the other hand, musically, 
we have a lot of the same taste and inclination, so it doesn't feel like the, arrange the arrangement is two different directions pulling in different ways. They're in some ways they're kind of coming together into a common place. And I remember it happening quite a few times. Uh, the last track on the album, in the still of the night, we were really hashing, hashing, trying to find. I had a, I had an idea for what kind of feeling I want to evoke with the arrangement. And there was a moment where Shimpe came up with the initial line that opens the track. And I just said, wow, where did you get that from? That is spectacular. I gaze from my window at the moon in its flight my thoughts all stray to you immediately I felt inspired and then the arrangement just built in, built itself so that was a, a clear moment with that. Another one was, uh, what is this thing called love? Where I found the verse for the song, which is not very usually sung. And it just really played itself. We kind of both felt the, the, the direction we want to go with and kind of switching to a very bluesy uh, Mingus style head. Uh, which is a great inspiration for both of us. We're both big fans of, of Mingus. What is this thing called love? This funny thing called love. Just who can solve its mystery? How can it make a fool of me? And so that was another one that just felt really good. Like, this is how it should be. Yeah, that's sort of how we rolled with it, with the process. Through the development of the album, was there at any time, or was it all the way through to where, like in dancing, if you're dancing with a partner, someone has to lead. In this particular case, in creating this music release, was who was following whom, or was it total collaboration throughout? I'll I'll be honest. Um, I think the I'm slightly older than Shimpe, and I think that put me initially in more of the driving seat as far as the production of the album. You know, kind of really pushing for the the recording date and to get everything kind of nicely wrapped and done. I also have a lot more experience. I've and I've done an EP before and so that kind of gave me a little bit of a 
advantage as far as kind of leading the project. But musically, I think we switch we switch roles. There are there were certain times where he was absolutely more driving the boat with the direction of where things should go, and there were a few other instances where I had a clear idea of where I want the music to go, and and he was sort of following the the idea. Well, I mean, sometimes musically, the, the, you're forced to follow certain trends anyway because somebody has to set the pace. To me, uh, you know, as an outsider, I'm wondering, well, geez, how does that work with a vocalist and a bassist? The great thing about working with Shimpe is that he's so attuned. And so we both, I think, listen very closely to each other. And uh, there are moments where I take the lead um, and then I kind of take back and let him, you know, have some space and lead. In a way, it's actually easier when it's just the two of us, especially if we are familiar with each other and, and care to make sure that we are sensitive and know, okay, I, I think I can I can take this one and or okay, I need I'm gonna step back a little bit. I think he's got an idea, let him roll with it. So yeah, you know, it in some ways it's harder, but in some ways it's actually easier in this format. What was your hope or, or your expectation for this release? What did you want to be the takeaway for listeners of this music? First and foremost, for them to like it of course, to, to, to enjoy it. I think more deeply, I saw a lot of pain and sadness in sometimes in the music of Cole Porter masqueraded sometimes with a lot of humor. There are quite a few tracks on the album where I really try to bring that out. And so I, I thought, I hope that people um, had a sort of a, so a song they may have heard a thousand times that maybe now they're hearing it in a little bit of a different way. That would be a great accomplishment for me. Can you give me an but, example? Yeah, I think I think um, in the still of the night uh, is a good example. There was a lot of yearning and, and sadness that I don't think many arrangements have portrayed it before. And another one is what is this thing called love, which is usually a very up-tempo kind of solo your heart out. And I really try to say, no, there's a story here. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of emotion going on. Yeah, so those are those are two good ones, but mostly it's it's just listening to the album and, and listening to stories and 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 having a, a good time. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that uh, people that listen to this album will have a good time. It's it, it's filled with joy and a lot of fun. It's very expressive and as I said before, completely well arranged. You put your taste on it. Uh, even though it's iconic, established music, uh, like anybody that's either in jazz or in music, it's okay to take liberties and take it in your direction and own it. And you did oh. that very well. Uh, thank you so much. I, I really, really appreciate that, that you say that. It, it really means a lot. I mean, there's definitely some liberties liberties being taken <laughs> with, with this album. Um, um, I hope the, the spirit of, of Porter would, uh, would, would agree. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much. I, I appreciate it. And then uh, I guess in, in closing out here, uh, Noah, what, what's going to happen now that uh, you're in San Francisco, Shimpei's in New York City? Are the two of you coming together again? 
I surely hope so. We definitely are, are talking about it. Uh, we'll see. I mean, uh, we're now, um, it's 2020, the year of uh, unpredictable situation. And so we'll have to see. We had a lot of good plans for, for this album as far as concerts uh, that we had lined up, which we had to uh, cancel. And I really hope that we can make them happen maybe in 2021. But I don't know. It's, it's too soon. We have been talking about doing some more collaboration, uh, working remotely, and so hopefully there will be more of that coming up. And uh, I think personally for me, I, I, I think I'm ready to um, graduate to a full trio now. So that's probably what's going to be coming up next for, for me. Yeah. Let me just say that it's been a pleasure uh, speaking with you today, Noah. How would people learn more about you? Um, thank you, Alan. Likewise, fantastic questions. Thank you for that. Uh, finding me best place is uh, my my website, Noah Levy Live, N O A L E V Y Live dot com. Otherwise, I'm also on Facebook, Noah Levy Live, and on Instagram. And uh, if you'd like to support the music, uh, you can find the album either digitally or physically on Bandcamp under Noah Levy Live. Uh, drop me an email and I'm happy to chat. And we're happy to have you uh, on this podcast because, uh, as we said at the opening, uh, we consider you one of our discoveries as a rising star and may your star shine bright and long in your career. Well, thank you so much. It, it's such an honor. <laughs> I am really, truly meaningful for me, especially as I'm carving my path as a newcomer to the state. So I truly honor the opportunity and that you've, you've chosen me to have me under this special category. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of All That's Jazz with jazz vocalist Noah Levy. Our thanks to Ben Citrin for our theme song, Mr. P's Shuffle. Please join us for our next episode featuring a conversation with Charles McPherson and family about his new release, Jazz Dance Suites. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating on the app you used to listen to us. We have new podcasts every Wednesday. You may subscribe for free. We are now heard on all top platforms as well as Facebook and our website, allthatsjazz.net.